Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Everyone, welcome to the 66th episode of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial planning. So good afternoon to you, Matt. Good afternoon, Mark. We're doing the podcast after hours today. The market just closed to four. Yeah. Yeah. It was an interesting day and today's um, Tuesday, October 6th. So the market sold off into the close after uh, Trump announced that there would be no more stimulus talks until after the election, since uh, Democrats and Republicans could not agree on a bill to put forward. Yeah, you know, the narrative on this is changing almost by the day. So it wouldn't surprise me if the talks got back on in a week or so, even sooner. So it's unpredictable, but that's at least the latest news, right? Right, exactly. So we're going to have a little bit of a different type of podcast as we previewed a couple podcasts ago. Um, This week, we're going to have Aaron Kramer, who is a wealth advisor here at Jessup Wealth Management, come on and talk a little bit about open enrollment since we are getting into that season. Uh, Just an FYI, I have heard of companies pushing open enrollment back, Matt, so people should be aware of that. Check your emails. I'm sure if that has happened that your company has emailed you. Um, So just be aware of that. Well, this is going to be a good one because a lot of people usually get the open enrollment notice. And what do they do, Mark? Same, submit, done, continue. And I think Aaron today is going to really highlight a lot of these topics that they should focus on. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. So it'll be a good one. Uh, One other housekeeping item. Um, Jenna, our marketing director, uh, reminded me that we are now on Amazon Music as well. Yep, their podcast platform. Yes. Um, So you can uh, simply, if you have an Alexa, say, Alexa, play the Independent Advisors podcast and Matt and I's pretty little voices are going to pop up on your Alexa. Instantly. They play. (laughs) I tested it and they play the last episode. So if you want a prior episode, you just have to specify then after saying it, which episode series. Yeah. So we're taping 66 as we speak. If you wanted a prior one, you just have to specify which number. Have you ever had your Alexa just turn on randomly before? I've had that happen before several times in my house, and I'm just trying to peek through and see what would happen if our voices just started playing in someone's house. Yes, it has <laughs> any, happened. Any given point in the day. Uh, it would, might be concerning. Yeah, it could be. It'd scare me. Scare me for sure. <laughs> You know we're going to get emails now where yeah. people are going to tell us this happened. <laughs> I want video proof. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, we're going to do a condensed version uh, of current events and tweets and research so we can get Aaron up and running on here. So um, just to run through the performance for the month and the year of the major indexes that we track, and this data is from Coifin as of the close of the market on October 5th. So the S&P 500 index is up 1.58% for the month of October and up 5.84% for the year. The Dow is up 1.56% for the month and down 0.96% for the year. The Nasdaq up 1.48% for the month and up 26.3% for the year. The IWM ETF that tracks the Russell 2000 index has a strong start in October, up 6.27% for the month but down 3.92% for the year. The Vanguard International ETF X United States up 1.83% for October and down 4.61% for the year. The three-month 
three-month T-bill currently yielding 0.1%, the two-year Treasury yielding 0.15%, and the 10-year Treasury bond is yielding 0.77%. So uh, yields are starting to separate a bit, Matt, not back to normal levels, but um, that's a good sign in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, you're starting to see some upward pressure on yields. And so listeners, what that means, in my opinion, is you are seeing selling of conservative areas like treasuries and the money's going elsewhere, whether it's sitting in or it's going into equities, but the upward rise in yields says to me, in my opinion, you're having selling and the money's going elsewhere. Right, right, which I think uh, eventually long-term is a positive thing for stocks. In my opinion, I would agree. Um, so moving on to headlines from last week, obviously the big ticket item from last week was the um, pre- first presidential debate dominated the political headlines uh, for the week and leaving most people, I think, disappointed and providing few new details on each candidate's agenda. Um, also, early Friday morning, President Trump announced that he tested positive for COVID, which triggered a risk-off move in stocks initially, but then the market seemed to recover pretty quickly after that. Um Moving on, the U.S. Senate secured a stopgap funding bill preventing another government shutdown, and discussions continued on a fourth round of virus stimulus until uh, that got halted in its tracks today. But as we know, Matt, with this type of stuff, it could be be the completely opposite story tomorrow morning. Yeah, the the narrative is changing very quickly. Yep. Um, Next, there was a major upside surprise in U.S. confidence that we found interesting for September with the Conference Board Consumer Confidence Index up 15.5 points to 101.8 compared to consensus expectations for a 5.2 point recovery. Um, And although the headline and present situation remains substantially below pre-COVID levels, expectations have now reached the pre-COVID average. That's a big deal. Yeah. So I think it bodes well for consumption, um, as it's evident in this week's personal spending report. Um, And that was also up 1% month over month in August. Okay. Um, Last thing that we want to note for listeners is on the labor front. So... There's been several large layoffs that I'm sure many people have already heard about, and they were announced last week, uh, especially with major airlines reporting 32,000 job cuts. And Disney also announced that it would lay off 28,000 from its theme park division. So um, with all that being said, the unemployment rate uh, also fell to 7.9%. Um, And this is the fifth consecutive month that the U.S. unemployment rate declined since its peak of 14.7% in April. And prior to the COVID-related shutdowns, uh, unemployment was around 3.5%, which was a 50-year low. So we are, you know, falling back towards that number. Who knows when we're going to get there, but at least we're headed in the right direction. Yeah, and as a reminder to listeners, you know, I, I highlighted in August that a lot of these airlines, part of that stimulus or that funding they got said they had to maintain employment through the end of September. Mm-hmm. And so I felt that, you know, the minute that it got there, assuming travel wasn't going to rebound, that these layoffs were coming. Right. And to kind of put it into a real world, real world perspective, Mark, you know, my oldest brother is a pilot for Southwest. He has a lot of buddies who are pilots. You know, one of them kind of saw this coming and he transitioned his career to a realtor this past summer. 
and he kind of slowly made that transition, kind of saw the writing on the wall that these furloughs were coming. And it's just sad to see it, um, that it happened. And I know that they're discussing another potential uh, stimulus plan that could affect the airline industry. But it's just tough to see these short-term furloughs and job losses. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, moving on to our abbreviated tweets, articles, and research from the week that caught our eye. Uh, Matt, I believe you have two things, and I just have one thing I want to mention before we move on. Yeah, listeners, just real quick. First is from Bespoke. Uh, Mark and I tend to highlight them for some of the raw data. And they had a piece of material from October 2nd that said this, Mark, S&P 500 index performance what their forward-looking returns after that index had a gain of 30% plus the prior six months, and it looks forward-looking. So there was about 10 or 12 instances where this happened in the past, Mark. In forward-looking, the average performance of the index was positive about 75% of the time. Three months out on average, the S&P was up another 6.3%. Six months out, on average, 11%, and one year out, 16.2%. Now, the reason I highlight this, though, for listeners is that they've seen such a run off the March lows that I think psychologically some people are questioning, can it continue? And the reason I wanted to highlight this piece is to show historically, statistically, it very well could any comment you want to make. Well, yeah, I think it goes back to <clears throat> my favorite saying of, you know, buy high and, um, you know, sell even higher. <laughs> you know, um, I think people try to get in this game of saying, hey, if the market's run this much so far, how much can it really run even further? Um, so another saying that I like is, you know, um, let your winners run, cut your losers short. And if don't catch a falling knife. Yeah, exactly. If your winners and the markets in general are hitting higher highs or hovering around all time highs, and you have all these industries that are sitting near all-time highs, that's not the definition of a bearish market. That's a healthy market. So I don't think people should be scared um, to you know buy equities right now. Just my opinion. I appreciate you sharing that. And I just want to kind of throw that stat out. And I'm glad you shared that with listeners, because I think psychologically, sometimes people see the market come off those lows. And to give them perspective in prior instances, I think is helpful. And I know Jenna will make sure this gets up on the uh, podcast notes. And you want to remind people how to access that? Yeah. So if you go to jessupwealthmanagement.com and hover over the podcast tab and click the show notes, you should be able to see this graphic that Matt is talking about. Okay, Mark, I got one more for listeners. This is a stat from uh, Mr. Thomas on October 4th. He provides a lot of raw research. It is a chart from Bloomberg, and it is in regards to S&P 500 companies in their cash and equivalents, and it goes back all the way to 2005. And so far this year, this chart indicates that companies have hoarded cash with average balances increasing 35% year to date. Now, I have some feelings as to what's going on. What's your immediate thought when you see this? I mean, the two things that come to mind is that you have a double whammy. You have a presidential election in 2020 and you're dealing with the pandemic. Boom. Um, so I think it could be as easy as that. Um, I also think that, 
you know, there's a there's a survey by I can't remember who his name is, but they they do a it's from Duke University. They do a survey of CFOs and when they think you know the next recession is coming. And that survey came in I think last fall, saying that a lot of these CFOs thought that they needed to be pretty conservative because they saw a slowdown coming. Now I don't think they predicted coronavirus, but I think companies you know kind of saw the writing on the wall. And, you know, when you have a year with so much uncertainty, this is not normal or this is not unnormal to see when we have so much uncertainty. And to see all this, these companies hoarding cash. Right. Now, timestamp this today, October 6th. You watch over the next 12 to 24 months. A lot of this money is going to get deployed, in my opinion, and not only within their businesses, you're going to see, in my opinion, more mergers and acquisitions, dividend raises, stock buybacks. I think it's going to be hard that after you have certainty after the election for these companies to justify hoarding so much cash. Yeah, regardless of who wins the election. Bingo. And that's the point I wanted to make with the chart. I know Jenna will put this online as well for us. Yes, it will be online. Um, I just had one quote that I found interesting that I saw on a uh, bespoke investment group report. And this was a quote from Robert G. Allen. And it goes like this. How many millionaires do you know who have become wealthy by investing in savings accounts? I rest my case. (laughs) So I thought this was just a good one because Again, people play the game of, hey, is the market too high to start investing? Should I just keep it in cash for a little while until we can buy the dip a little further? But again, with interest rates where they are, guys, there are not a lot of people that can afford to keep their money in a checking or savings account right now. And you know, people do, who are millionaires and billionaires don't just have all their money sitting in a money market fund right now. No, Mark, and I'll prove this point. I was in a breakfast meeting with a client. This morning before the market opened, we were talking about how much cash is on the sidelines highlighting the uh, Federal Reserve's M2 money supply, which is a statistic that talks about how much cash is out there in checking, savings, money markets, and CDs. And you've seen a huge rise in that money. And I sat there and said to this individual, I am sitting there and saying, with rates as low as they are, with the Fed telegraphing how low they're going to stay, that money those investors are not going to accept zero or a half a percent rate of return for very long. And we now, had a client that was getting charged to hold money at a bank. Yes. In the we, U.S. Yes, yes. Charged by a bank. Now, it was seven figures. And you see that sometimes overseas with larger balances. But the bank wanted to charge them to keep it on deposit. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to start to see more of that, Mark. Yeah. And I think what it's going to do, it's going to force that money to find a new home. Mm-hmm. And I think I know where that home is going to be. Well, it's going to go into the market, but yeah. we'll see. That's our opinion, of course. Yeah. So uh, I'll send it back to you, sir. Yeah. So <clears throat> that's all we had um, in our condensed version of the podcast uh, this week. But as I said before, um, since we're right around the corner uh, from where companies have open enrollment for their benefits, we thought it would be prudent to discuss some of the things that people should be thinking about when it comes to open enrollment. So today we brought on uh, Aaron Kramer, who uh, in our office is a wealth advisor, and Aaron specializes in financial planning for our clients. So Aaron, welcome to the show for the first time. Thanks for having me on, guys. I'm excited. Absolutely. So, you know, Aaron put together a checklist for us that we're going to go through and also post to our show notes on the website. So anyone that Um, visits our website. As I mentioned before, we'll be able to download this and review it before making any changes to any plans in open enrollment. Um, So Aaron's kind of just going to go through the checklist step by step, explain some things, and then we'll get some commentary from Matt and I. Love it. 
Yeah, so with uh, open enrollment around the corner, um, I've got some seven topics just to cover. Um, first thing is premium changes. So you're probably gonna get your packet in the email or in the mail and see um, that your premium went up this year uh, with the rising healthcare costs. Um, so that's pretty likely. And um, one idea I had is if your premium goes up and your goal is to save money is to consider an HSA. So to be eligible to participate in a HSA or health savings account is that you're in a high deductible um, health plan. So um, there's different rules every year um, what qualifies for a high deductible health care plan. But um, the idea of the HSA is that you're able to save money each year um, and it rolls over year over year to where you can um, save this money, it's tax advantage, meaning it's not tax going in and it's not tax coming out. So it's a really good way if you're relatively healthy to um, save money on healthcare costs and um, just do it in a tax advantage way. Yeah. And I think the other thing about this too, that I don't think a lot of people think a lot of people understand. So like Aaron said, it's pre-tax money going in. It's not tax coming out if it's used for qualified medical right. expenses. But then if you build this account up to where you're in retirement and you still have a large chunk of money left in your HSA in retirement, you can take that money out and use it as like a secondary retirement account, but it's just taxed if it's not used for qualified medical expenses. So it really is like a triple tax advantage account that a lot of people I don't think know how to utilize, but if your medical insurance is a part of a high, de high deductible health plan, definitely inquire about this if you haven't already during open enrollment, because that's a big thing that people miss. Now, one comment, Mark, that I want to make is in regards to the investability of these types of accounts. Now, I know more and more there are providers where in the past this money would just sit in cash. Mm -hmm. And Aaron, aren't you starting to see more and more providers where this money can actually be invested in the market? Yeah, you can actually um, start investing in mutual funds and stuff like that. So this money is actually working for you um, while it's being saved and rolled over year over year. And it kind of so really cool. kind of looks like a 401k almost. It does. Yeah, like a 401k or an IRA where you can you can save it and use it for healthcare expenses. So someone could make the choice if they want it to be aggressive, say with that HSA investment that they could invest in equity-oriented mutual funds. It comes with risk in doing so. But I think considering for that as a portion, because HSAs in my mind are deemed to be a long-term investment. Right. Yeah. So if someone's younger, say they're 30 years old and they're healthy, they can afford to take some risk in that account and make it better for them in retirement if they have higher healthcare expenses. That's definitely something if you're working with a professional, I'd throw out there to definitely have that that sort of conversation. And if you're not working with someone, definitely reach out to Aaron. He can mm -hmm. kind of give you his two cents. But just know that, listeners, that that money can now be invested in the market or in other investments than just cash. Exactly. And especially, you know, I think that this goes out to people that have smaller children too. And you can probably attest to this, Matt, that, you know, an HSA is extremely useful when you have small kids getting banged up on the sidewalk and, you know, having going to the doctors because they're getting sick and one kid gives it to the other kid, which gives it to your third kid and, you know, just spirals out of control, it seems like. Absolutely. And I know there's a lot of convenience now with this market, Aaron, where a lot of it, you get a debit card now, right? right. With some yep. of these providers. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you have to go pay out of pocket and then wait to get reimbursed. A lot of these providers, you have a debit card. So when you're there at the ER or at the doctor's office, you can swipe that 
or even a lot of times when you go through CVS, Walgreens. Yeah, you can use it on prescriptions or even there's qualified like uh, allergy medicine, uh, over-the-counter stuff that you can use it on too. Now, the other thing that comes to mind with this, as Aaron, you were talking, is there are some employers that if you go with the high deductible plan, some of them will put money yep. into the HSA to get it going. Exactly. They'll mm. actually match um, contributions too, like they would on a 401k. Yeah. So another thing to look, look at the minor details in your documents because that might be appealing that if you're say more healthier oriented family where you look at your health insurance as more as catastrophic oriented yeah, sort of have one off expenses or mm -hmm. that's where like the that. HSA could even make more sense mm -hmm. right. right yeah and I think it'd be helpful just to go over what a high deductible health plan is guys so so i mean the basics of it is you have this deductible right and all that means is that you have to spend that certain amount before your insurance kicks in correct so that's what a high deductible health plan is that it doesn't just kick in right away at, at january 1 and you get help from your insurance you have to meet your deductible you might have to spend yeah, you're, 3, you're right mark so the you get a lower monthly premium and then the deductible is higher so right and also the out-of-pocket max is typically higher okay um, as well awesome love it yep um next topic is just your coverage and elections um so it's a good time in open enrollment just to review um that you're adequately covered whether it's health insurance or if you have group life disability anything like that um it's also really important to check um your beneficiaries so you're gonna have beneficiaries on retirement accounts um life insurance all that stuff so it's just a good reminder to check on that make sure that's all good now one thing aaron that comes to mind there is you and I and Mark, we were out at an employer recently, and we were doing some uh, benefit reviews, and someone said, listen, I just signed up for the 401k guys two years ago, and I was with you. You went in to their account, they logged in, and they had no beneficiaries listed. And they looked at us and said, I know I entered them. So you want to kind of cover that just because you put them in originally? Doesn't mean it's the case. Yeah, with, I mean, companies are updating software, they're getting new systems. Um, so just because you put it down on paper, it's a good idea to go in if you have online access, just make sure they're on your online site too. Um, we're, we're big on beneficiaries. We like to make sure people have those listed and just, it's good to double check. Yeah, and nine times out of 10, if you listed it once, it probably is somewhere, but it's better to be uh, safe than sorry in this type of scenario because we've obviously been in the position where we're helping someone who has lost a loved one that didn't have a beneficiary listed on the account and it makes things very, very complex. And two other thoughts to come to mind. Remember listeners, when you make that beneficiary change, the last time you make that change, that's the one in force. And the other thing that comes to mind is we have heard of horrific situations where there's been, say, a separation and a person remarries and they did not update their beneficiaries. Something happens to them and their 401k ends up going to a former spouse. And we've seen I've heard of those situations. Yeah. yeah. And so just another another kind of reminder. Yeah, that, that sort of leads into uh, my next topic, which is um, lifestyle or family changes. So some of those lifestyle changes could be uh, a marriage, a divorce, having children, or even turning 26. Um, so during open enrollment, it's a good time to review sort of the last year. If you've gotten married, you might need to add your, your spouse as a beneficiary, or if they need health care coverage, um, you should uh, look and see if they can get it through their employer, or if they're, they're not employed, getting it through uh, your employer. So um, a couple other things with that is uh, turning 26 is kind of a big one. Um, that's uh, 
when you end healthcare coverage eligibility on your parents. So if you're on their parents plan on their parents plan, that's yeah, exactly. So if, if you're 25, you might want to consider building into your budget, the cost of premiums going forward and um, just be ready. So you're not uh, having a lapse in coverage. So that's just a good thing for young adults to be aware of. Mm -hmm. Um, Other lifestyle changes, like having kids, kids are obviously a big expense. You need to make sure they're on their, on your healthcare plan if they need to be so. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, what happens in the middle of the year, Aaron, when somebody is 26, it's July 1st, and they turn 26, and they're currently on their parents' plan? So at that point, it's a a trigger, correct? It's a a life event. Right. So that would be a qualifying life event to where you could get healthcare coverage at that point. Got it. So it's not like you have to sign up for it at the beginning of the year. Right, right. Yep. So getting married or getting divorced, those are all type types of triggering events that you don't have to wait until open, open enrollment, enrollment to make those yep. changes. Exactly. Okay. And then the, sure. the other thing, especially with having kids too, a lot of companies offer really, really cheap life insurance on mm-hmm. uh, dependents. Um, and I'm talking like cents on the dollar uh, per paycheck. So that's something to look into as well. And also, I think open enrollment's a good time to sit down with your spouse and compare health insurance plans. Um, because just because when you first got married, one spouse had a better plan than the other, maybe someone has switched jobs and they haven't really looked at the other's health plan because they thought they were good, but open enrollment is, you know, it's just another good excuse to sit down and see if you guys are maximizing your benefits by being on one spouse or the other's health insurance plan or, or benefits in general. Yeah. It's it's just a great time to, to check on things for sure. Right. Um, next topic, um, is changes to benefits or your network. So if your um, if your employer gets a new, um, health insurance provider, definitely want to check to make sure that, um, if you're like in an HMO or their health maintenance organization, um, essentially you need to make sure that all your, um, your primary care physician, your dentist, all your, if you have vision insurance, stuff like that is still in network. If you've gotten a, uh, a new healthcare provider. Um, that's a good one. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. important um, because, for example, if, if you uh, were working with a primary care physician, you switch um, healthcare providers, you might not be in network. And then so it would be a higher it's going to be a higher cost or it might be totally out of pocket depending on how your um, your health care insurance works. Right. Um, other ideas there is um, you want to avoid paying out of pocket, like I said. Um, so um, you want to look for potential alternatives if you have a lapse in coverage. So that's like Mark said, another good time to check with your spouse. If you lose coverage or um, have changes in premiums, it's a, it's a good time to just meet with your spouse or uh, look for other alternatives at that point. Something that comes to mind, Aaron, is I know also doctors do change the coverages that they do accept. So I think that might be another um, potential idea is reach out to your primary care physician and make sure Hey, I'm still going to be with United Healthcare next year, or Anthem, or Blue Cross, or whatever it is. Are you still going to accept this? Yeah, yeah, that's, that, a, that's that, a great that, idea. I, I see yeah. that happen too. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, next topic uh, we like to check on is flex spending accounts. So these are kind of similar to HSAs, um, but the difference is you don't have to be in a uh, high deductible health plan. Um, but the one caveat to it is the, uh, the contribution limits are lower than the HSA, but the caveat is that you cannot roll these over each year. So it's kind of like a use it or lose it sort of idea. That's a biggie. So a lot of people use these for paying premiums throughout the year or if they have uh, co-pays for drugs and stuff like that. 
but you want to make sure you don't overfund it um, and then you sort of lose that money. There is a two and a half month grace period at the end of the year. So that's that. a little bit of that's a nice. a little right. bit of a catch up if you do need to use that yeah. FSA account. Um, but and that's what a lot of people I see are they're scared to fund it because they're yeah. scared they're not going to use it and then they're going to lose a couple thousand dollars. Right. Um, but you know, a lot of people use this for like daycare, right? So yeah. you can spend it on um, daycare for your kids. Um, so it's another really good tool, but if you have, and I guess it's easier to use if you have, let's say two kids and you know, they're going to be in daycare through the year, then you're, you know what you're going to pay that year. Right. Yeah. I mean, one thing that comes to mind here also, uh, Mark and Aaron is there's a company where we have some clients that offer this, uh, flex spending account to where when the participant elects, let's just say, uh, $50 a pay period to go into it this specific company front loads and funds the flex spending at the beginning of the year. So that way, let's say that you have a kid that needs some orthodontic work done and it's going to be a large upfront cost. You could sign up if your company does this, mm -hmm. right, Aaron? Right. So if they offer where they front load it, you can sign up, say 50 bucks a pay period. They front load it on January 1st. Then you can schedule the orthodontic appointment for your child in January, get it done and not have to wait for that money to show up later in the year. So I have saw that recently yeah, too. Yeah, that's a great that's a great idea. Um, yeah, it's just good to take advantage of those those tax advantage accounts in any way you can, mm -hmm. um, and just sort of realize the the caveats and um, nuances to them. I appreciate the fact you explained the difference between the health savings and flex because I think a lot of listeners it's hard to disseminate it's the, the same difference. thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The one the major difference is being in the high deductible health plan. Yeah, uh, is is the major difference. So if you're maybe if you're not as healthy or you have more ongoing um, health expenses, the FSA or flex spending account might be better for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So those are some of the things that we wanted to wanted to cover. Um, the last yeah. topic I just want to say is that if you have any questions um, and you're unsure about anything, meet with your HR person at your employer. Um, reach out to us or if you whoever uh, whoever you're comfortable working with, if it's a if it's a benefit specialist, anything like that. See, Aaron, what comes to mind is, you know, people that will reach out and they'll need something like a life insurance needs analysis. Right. So they'll call and they'll sit there and say to me, hey, Matt, how much life insurance do I need? And what do I immediately say? I'm going to get you in touch with Aaron. Right. He's going to work with you on this and try to figure that out. Because how many times do we sit down with people that are younger in age that have children and statistically speaking, they're well underinsured? Yeah, we see it a lot. So, I mean, the first thing when somebody brings up life insurance is I'm going to ask, do you have a group life option? Because that's going to be the cheapest uh, for sure. So, and guaranteed coverage. And guaranteed coverage. Exactly. It's it's easy to go through. They're not going to do an invasive exam or anything like that. So it's 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 super easy. That's when somebody brings up life insurance, that's the first thing I ask. So with that, after that, we'll look at um, different life insurance plans of um, term life. So that's sort of, sure. Sort of where the where cheapest comes option. Play. Yeah. So when I, when I get the, the question, it's tough, but usually when you have kids and especially if you don't have, if, or if you have a spouse that is staying home and taking uh, care of the kids, 
typically you're going to need more insurance than you have. Um, so the rule of thumb for me, and again, it's not a recommendation, but you know, if I had to guess anywhere between seven to 10 times your annual salary in insurance coverage, I think you usually is adequate because you got to remember what it takes to run your household, right? Um, and even though your spouse might not have a salary, what is that worth that she's that she or he is home with the kids, cooking dinners, going grocery shopping, taking the kids to school, all that yeah. stuff. So not paying for daycare, not stuff paying like that. for daycare exactly. So you know all of that needs tutor. yeah <laughs> a tutor yeah all that needs to be um, accounted for. And a lot of the times it's missed because I think the life insurance industry has a bad rap for being really salesy and just pushing these policies, high cost policies. But they've this industry has gotten better. Costs have come down a little bit and there's more affordable policies for just simple term insurance that cover um, a loss of income. So, you know, if this is something that you've put off in the past because of that, I would just encourage people to take a look at that again, because um, obviously no one plans to have an event like this happen to them. But as we all know, life happens. And, you know, obviously, again, we've seen situations where people have been way underinsured and, you know, we've had, you know, catastrophic events take place. And Mark, it just makes me think I got one more thing, Aaron, I want to kind of throw your way thinking about 401k contributions, because this is going to be a part of, of open enrollment right. for people to review. Why don't you share with listeners um, our theory on what we call the plus 1% rule? Yeah. So, I mean, open enrollment's a great time to, like Matt said, review what your contribution rate is. And um, a lot of plans will have this option built in, but if they don't, um, you can automatically or manually contribute 1% additional each year. So if you're doing 5%, next year you'll do 6 and then next year you'll do 7 and then eventually you're going to get up to a really good contribution rate, 10, 15%, whatever it may be. Um, it's just a good option to review during open enrollment. And I love when you do this with, with people, when I, when I hear you talking about this in meetings, because from my perspective, it's tough to go to somebody that's contributing five when they should be contributing 10 and to sit there and say to them, Aaron, hey, you need to go from five to 10%. But if you formulate it like you right. do with the plus 1% rule, they're really not gonna miss that 1%. Yeah, you're not gonna notice that. You're not gonna see a 5% bump in your paycheck one time. It, yeah. You'll see it gradually, but um, a lot of people get cost of living adjustments. So we say, if you get a 3% cost of living adjustment, roll that right into your 401k and you won't even notice it. I love yeah. that advice, Aaron. That's, that's good. Yeah. And the other one I just wanted to touch on quickly too was group disability. Mm -hmm. A lot of this is probably one that we see most people just not elect um, because they're like, I'm never going to get disabled. I'm never going to have a problem. So I'm I going to pay it. But the group disability through companies is usually really, really affordable. Um, so most of the time it does make sense to do that. And typically you'll have one, two or three payout options that will cover a certain percentage of your income and you'll pay accordingly based on what the benefit is going to be. Um, so I would encourage people to at least take a look at that. I know it gets looked over a lot, but you know, people are out of work for longer periods of time than they were to think, uh, especially when they signed up with these companies. Now, Aaron, is that disability taxable income or is it not? How does that work? Um, it's going to depend, I believe. Um, I think it depends on the amount, um, okay. and how it's initially set up. So if it's paid with pre-tax money, um, it's likely going to be taxable after. Okay. And if it's uh, paid with after-tax money, it's probably not going to be taxed um, coming out when you actually receive the disability. Okay. Helpful. 
And then the other, the last thing I wanted to mention, I know it sounds silly, but a lot of uh, companies these days are offering pet insurance. <laughs> so if uh, you need insurance for your furry friend um, and you've come to learn that they're very expensive, like I have, um, <laughs> this is a very good option. And again, usually this is very, very affordable. Um, so more and more I've been seeing this lately with clients. So just wanted to throw that out there. I love that one. Yeah, that's cool. I, I like that. <laughs> Um, so anyways, uh, Aaron, thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate it. So if anyone has any questions for Aaron regarding open enrollment or anything financial planning related, he can be reached at Aaron at jessupwealthmanagement.com or you can give us a call. Um, so Aaron, thanks for joining the show and we'll have you back soon. Thanks for having me guys. Listeners, Aaron's an absolute rock star. He knows uh, financial planning inside and out. Highly recommend if you have any questions or you're not working with an existing professional, definitely reach out to him. And he's getting married this weekend. And he's getting married this weekend. So, ladies, he's off the market. He, 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 is, uh, he has a, a wonderful bride-to-be. He's a lucky man. So, um, anyways, we will leave it there, Matt, if you don't have anything else. Um, no, sir. We'll... Oh, I one comment. Yeah. Um, throw, talking about marriages, uh, listeners, Mark's getting married in November. And so the week he is out, uh, Aaron is going to be Co-host. the guest host. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be fun. So you don't have to, to have, do a, get to have more of me. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I know when you left or I think I did an episode by myself because I, you didn't leave. You were, you were sick, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but definitely having two people on here is better than one. So look forward to listening to that. Um, but anyways, we'll leave it there for the week. Um, thank you for tuning in to the 66th episode of the independent advisors podcast. We hope you all have a safe, fun rest of the week and weekend, and we'll be back next week. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors Podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. And also check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. Here you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words, questions, and topics in the subject line to mark at jessupwealthmanagement.com, and we'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.